right. Here Welcome. we are. We are live with Wag Attack. So, and who's our guest today? Uh, my name is Christine. And do you have a last name, Christine? Uh, nope, just Clark. McLovin? <laughs> <laughs> no, no last name. It's yeah. just Clark. Yeah. Welcome to the Whack Attack podcast, where it's you and us versus your problems. So, well, it's a pleasure to have you on. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, Christine Clark is a super saver, right? Yes. You generally would be considered financially independent, depending on what your definition is of that. Is that correct? Yes or no? I don't think I'm there yet. No, no? technically. But you're, you're uh, far down that path. Yes. Right. I'd say about six years down that path. And your husband, okay, yeah. and h- how has he been with this too as well? I think that's the reason we are where we are today is because we're both very like-minded in that sense. We want to reach financial independence at a very early age and then just have that freedom to decide whether to work or not work, travel, raise kids without having to work and juggle everything. That sounds great. So it we does. have an empty seat here. Why is he not here? <laughs> yeah. He's uh, working. It's tax season. Oh, because it, Clark Kent's saving the day. That's why. <laughs> right. There's no phone booth in this operation. Hey, Christine, can you just pull your microphone just a little closer, about a fist away from there? You go yeah, forward. sweet. Awesome. Well, tell us a little bit about your journey so far. Well, I started this journey, yeah, about six years ago, seriously. Um, I graduated college with a mechanical engineering degree. I was making about 60K out of college, and I probably didn't really understand how to manage the money properly quite yet because I was only making, you know, minimum wage before then. And so I spent a little bit, had some fun, and then I realized, okay, I'm, I'm not able to save any money, and I should probably figure this out. And what's my biggest cost? It's housing. So I found a way to get really cheap rent or free rent um, for the last for five years and we just bought a house about a year ago so that's obviously gone dramatically up how has that been going from like being a super saver to buying a house because i can just see the look on your face right now it hurts so bad and for those of you listening i'm not sure if you can hear it in your ears but it's like yeah yeah Yeah, well i mean the facial expressions are for sure there and (laughs) and i'm sure the camera caught it let's you know the house was a big thing Mm -hmm. i feel like that's very current or almost current with where we're at I feel like let's step back for a second and let's let's have you like tell us what does being a super saver mean to you and and in your journey. So right now you said you're about six years in. Yeah, six years in. I would say super savers saving like over fifty percent of your income. Okay. Over fifty percent of your income. And, and for, for people who are paying attention or for people who are listening, not paying attention, you're all paying attention, hopefully. Uh that's fifty percent of post tax income. Yes, take home. Take home. Yes. Perfect. Can't say Continue. Tax so, so, on, so on average, that's actually more like 65% of total pay. If you just think you're paying 30% roughly, somewhere right around that range. Right. Well, I hear yeah. people say like, oh, I'm saving you know 30% of my income, but you know 15% of it is in a 401k. I'm like, well, you can't touch that for 30 plus years. So yeah. that's not what we're talking about here. So I actually, I do include the 401k into that okay. total savings amount. So I think roughly I save about 60, 50 to 60% right now. Right. And that includes the 401k contributions. Solid. Okay. So, so I got to ask. The percentage nightmares after you bought a house, it went from what percent to the current percent it's at now? I honestly don't remember what my percentage of housing was before, but right now it's like 45%. Okay. It hurts me okay. a lot. Okay. Wait, 45% of your income? Of total spending, not oh, of income. Oh, total spending. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. That's, a good, that's a good lesson clarification here. So, okay, you buy a house. Uh, you got to make peace with that, and you've obviously conquered it. I've been over your house. It's great. It's beautiful. It's very nice. Um, flashback to getting to the point where you felt comfortable to buy a house. 
Uh, what did you guys do along the the way to have some budgeting and saving strategies when you first mm-hmm. got together as a couple? Yeah. So when we first met, he owned a home and he rented out a bedroom and I shortly moved in with him. So we were basically splitting, you know, a very low mortgage at that point. So we were able to save a lot of money because we ultimately wanted to go buy a house together. Um, so, yeah, he had a roommate. We had two roommates at one point and we were able to save, save, save. We ended up moving into another house with his brother and we're splitting a room for $500 a month or $600 a month. So like our housing cost was very small. That included utilities, but that enabled us to save a lot of money. So we were able to come up with 20% to put down for the house with a large buffer to like make any changes to the house if we wanted to. Sweet. So I think we were in a comfortable position. So you guys did some house hacking in there. Now, when you was house hacking, one of the main primary budgeting tactics that you had. Yes, that was the biggest one. Okay. Now I would think about folks who are here in California, right? Obviously, things are expensive: gas, inflation. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you keep the food bills, like the the eating out, the Chipotle runs, the restaurants, the um, seven dollars a gallon? Right. How did you keep that to a minimum? Okay. So for groceries, we eat beans, rice, and like ground meat. That's pretty much every day. And eggs. So it's a pretty cheap lifestyle. You know, we'll throw a tri-tip in nowadays. So yeah. you know, living large. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's healthy and it's it's affordable. And we keep that pretty, pretty A lot well. of people don't know ground beef is actually incredibly healthy because yeah. it gets a lot of the cartilage and all the little pieces from all over the body, which has a lot more of the nutrients than just the meat, the muscle meat, and the fat within that yeah, muscle. Yeah, red meat in general is the way to go. So the, the nutrition realm, which we're not going to get into on this <laughs> podcast, is full of, full of a bunch of gobbledygook, but red meat for sure. I yeah. Agree. yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> I mean, that, that uh, sounds great. So <laughs> getting back into uh, the beans then. Do you get them fresh or do you get them out of a can? I know I get them dry and then I cook them myself and I make refried beans every week. There Solid. You so you go to a, a, a grocery store that has uh, bulk foods so like Winco Foods or like Grocery Outlet. Grocery like, tell us outlet. about that. Yeah. Outlet. Yeah. So we're them. we're really just a tortilla away from having some solid Mexican food at your house every night. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wait, she said she didn't have cheese. She never said anything about cheese. I do have cheese. It's mozzarella and it's in a big bag from Costco. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> All right. That's solid. So that's food. Now what about what about auto and gas? Because when I think about expenses on a monthly basis, mm-hmm. uh, like you said, it's it's where you live, mm-hmm. it's your car, and it's your food. So yeah. what about the car? So we were able to keep transportation costs like pretty low, I would say. Um, currently, my husband has a car who, that's paid off and we barely ever drive it. And then we share a Tesla that's being leased through his business. So the payment's, you know, less than $400 a month and you don't have to pay for any gas. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay, let's let's get into this a little bit. So you guys have a business together. So up until the point of getting to the business, because mm-hmm. well, I want to talk about that. How did you guys go about managing finances together as a couple? Because I do this with my wife. She's a saint. You're awesome, Katie. Uh, and it is always a challenge when I have an impulse spend and I go buy something for $100 and then we review finances. Add a zero. 
and she's a like, you did what? And I'm like, I know, I'm so bad. <laughs> You're right? like a dog. <laughs> a dog destroys something. You're like, oh, I'm so sorry. But a lot of people, uh, you know, could get like really self conscious about that if their, you know, person or their wife or husband, partner, whomever is calling them out on it. Like, how did you? How have you guys navigated that? while still keeping an eye on the goal, mm-hmm. right, of wanting to become financially independent and being really close to being there. But at the same rate, like, not being an asshole about holding each other accountable when a mistake does happen. Because I feel like this is probably the, a big topic it for is. folks who want to achieve financial independence with their person, but, uh, you know, managing it is difficult over time. Totally. So I think what's most important is having a common goal and kind of being on the same page with your partner. Like, what do you guys want to do in 10 years? And if you guys are both working towards that goal and you want to spend your lives together, then obviously you guys are going to both do the right things to be on the same page. And, you know, $100 here and there is not going to, you know, ruin everything. But I think the big things is transportation, housing, food costs, you know, not going out to dinner every night. Those are what's going to keep you in line to, like, hit those goals. Yeah, I would agree. I, agree. With, I would agree with a lot of that. And then I think one of the other things, too, is you and your husband were very much on the same page. So it was pretty easy to align in a goal because you guys were already looking in the same direction. There, I, I would assume that there are a lot of couples out there where one person might come from a more financially conservative background and finances were a part of their upbringing. And then somebody else who just, they, I'm not going to say they're reckless with their funds, but they just weren't maybe taught those skills. And th- that's probably a lot of people. And so do you have any tactics that you think might work well for how to get somebody who might not necessarily be as um, seasoned with their finances to sort of turn their head and say, hey, like this is a good vision for how to save? For somebody like that, what are some tactics that you would give them? I think it comes back to the goal. And I think if you can ask your partner, like, what, where do you want to be in 10 years or where do you want to be in 20 years? What do you want your life to look like? And then you can work backwards from there and see what you guys both need to do in order to reach that goal. Right, because okay, a goal without up. a plan is just a dream. There you go. Hold you up. have the goal in mind. <laughs> I need like a skirt. What if people have identity crises and they don't know what they want to be in 10 years or they don't know what they want to be doing in 20 years, but they know they want to be saving money or they, they at least want to try to save money instead of having a dream, what would you say like a healthy percentage is? to just maybe start with a benchmark because you need some time to figure out what that dream or goal is. I think a healthy percentage is at least 20% in my opinion. I mean, obviously I'm going to push to go a little higher than that, but 20%, I think you're going to be all right. You're going to be saving a good amount of money. Yeah. So 20% of your post, uh, you know, your gross take home. Take home. Yeah. So if you make a thousand dollars a month, $200 a month, mm-hmm. right. Maybe but if you make 5,456 cents, you would save how much? I don't know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> just Damn, kidding. put on the spot. Wouldn't that be yeah. great if she was like, eh, bang. She just spits it out like a calculator. Prior, so. Yeah. <laughs> well, we have some we have some uh, uh, Woodford Reserve here for you. So, cheers. Well, well, cheers to you. Right. Right there we I go. Like Curtis that. has got his vodka. <laughs> right. He's an alcoholic. It's tequila water. So let me know how you like that. Um, yeah, you, you were. You picked it. You were. Uh, she we likes it because she didn't it. pay for it. What'd you What'd you think? It's not bad. I no. can sip on that. Yeah. 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 Solid. That's <laughs> perfect. That's what matters. It is pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I had some uh, last week. Yeah. Okay. So we've sort of talked about the common goals that you need to have with your person. You know, you said, hey, the biggest thing you should focus on first is your house or your housing. Uh, you said you guys house hacked. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of people out there who 
they don't like the concept of having a random people, a random person in their house or like sharing their space. So what was a good way that you guys found to conquer some of those fears to house hack? Um, so we never had any random people living in our house. So I think that was helpful. Strategy um, number one. Yes. Uh, friends, close friends, family. Um, so that was one. I think a duplex would actually be a good uh, idea if you weren't going to want to share your space with someone. Oh, to buy it? Like buy a duplex and rent out the other half. Yeah, multi-door, multi-door real estate. Okay, but that's go. like a, such a little amount of it's the total fraction. volume of real estate. Yeah. Most people are either going to be in an apartment yeah, or a small house, 1,200 square feet-ish, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, obviously you said good friends, but basically people you can vet and you know, you're not going to have to worry about locking your door every day. Right. Right. Or going to bed and be like, uh, what is that? Right. I'm on the same page with you there. So let's assume you, you have found that right person. What were some of the ways that you guys as a couple, you know, found that living through that and staying focused became a reality for you? I'm not sure I understand what you're asking. <laughs> How'd you guys get through living with somebody else as a couple? Oh, okay. Uh, so, I mean, the first the first roommate was never there, which was lovely. So That's that the was, best roommate. That was the best roommate. Um, sorry, Jordan. And the second... <laughs> no, different Jordan. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. The second uh, was his brother, and he was honestly super nice to live with, and it was pleasant to have their company. Yeah, I don't know. My wife would say the same thing about Curtis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we all kind of did the the little all live together thing for a period of time, but it got to the point where it was like when you establish your relationship with yeah. your person, sometimes you guys you like you just want your own space. Yeah, yeah. I agree. So and Curtis and I are really close, and so the problem was we had to break up with each other first before we you know got with our wives. Which caveat, I don't think we ever have. Uh, <laughs> and now we both have kids and. Even though we're like, they're both daughters. They're going to hang out. Yeah. So we can hang out. Yeah, so we can <laughs> hang out. <laughs> Strategery, yeah. right? Uh, so back on topic about the financial independence stuff. So that's, that's great strategies for house hacking. Mm-hmm. People you know, like, or trust. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And try to find somebody who doesn't work from home. Because if you ever had a roommate that worked from home, that maybe presented a different type of challenges because they were around most of the time instead of, you know, only partially amount of time. Yes. So our last roommate worked from home. So she was always there, which... Like, we loved her, but, like, we do need our own time as a couple. So I think that presented a lot of challenges within our relationship. So I think find someone who doesn't want to hang out all the time or can leave the house from time to time. So shift workers. If you find somebody who's, like, a shift worker. Yeah, Yeah. they're gone at night. It's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) We'll let you guys use your thoughts there with what you thought that was. Uh, But that's a great house hacking ideas. Now, your guys' car, uh, obviously, you didn't just get a Tesla, right? Or, I mean, I'm sorry, obviously, you guys just got a Tesla. You, didn't, you haven't had it the whole time, no. right? So, you sort of rewarded yourself with that. But before that, how mm-hmm. did you guys manage the car situation? So, um, he had a car that was fully paid off, and I had a car that was older and also fully paid off. And we were close to home. I mean, I think at the time, I was only commuting like six miles for work. So, gas prices were high, but, you know, we're not using that much gas. And yeah, just not having the monthly payment on a car really mm. helped. Okay, yeah, now not- let's talk impulse control. So you've said, hey, buy a used car, try to have a minimum or low payment, right? Obviously, if you have a used car, it's not super nice. You're be paying less on insurance, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then gas. Obviously, if you live close, that's nice. If you don't live close, obviously, we don't have a great solution for you besides like get a Prius or electric car. Or, yeah. Right. Um, but now you guys have house hacked. 
You've got people who you live with that are easy to live with. You work close to home. You drive, you know, reasonable cars. But what about on a Thursday night or a Friday night when you want to go do something nice? How do you guys sort of get past that impulse control to go to that nice restaurant down the street and to want to have maybe a nice dinner or a cocktail with each other and just sort of, you know, enjoy a night out on the town? We, we do do that. We go out and we have dinner and we spend however much we want to spend. And I think that's not what's going to break the bank. Um, it's very conscious decision. It's something, not something we do, you know, Monday through Friday. It's something we do maybe once every other week. And we really enjoy it when we do it. So, so what I... Go ahead, Gers. Yeah, so I think that's a really important part. It's not you live with these super restrictive means. It's that your core base of your financial um, responsibilities that you would have to pay out, that's what you're managing. And then you just say, hey, like every two weeks we go out and we enjoy ourselves. Mm -hmm. Because that is also important. Like we don't work just to save all our money and die with a pile of money. Like, we, 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 you want to be able to enjoy some of your hard work as well. So mm -hmm. I think that's a really important message to for anybody who's trying to become a super saver. Understand the balance, the balance in what you guys are trying to do. So I'll kick it back over to you. I have some other questions, but I want to let you finish where yeah, you're at. Absolutely. So it's really not uh, like, oh, we can't do that. It's more of we can do this once this week, but next week maybe we stay in and watch a movie. Right. So you, you, you're sort of controlling how often you do it instead of not allowing yourself to do it at all. And that's actually a really good strategy because I always fixate on like, oh, we can only spend this much on restaurants. But the reality is you can only eat so much damn food. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and you know what type of restaurant you're going to. Mm -hmm. If you, you know, gorge yourself and you're like, oh, I'm so full, you know, generally how much that bill is going to be based off what restaurant you go to. For me, the problem is, see, I never limited like how often I did it. So instead of it being like every other week, it was like, okay, well, I've only done it twice this week. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's eight times versus the two times that, you know, you and your husband might do it right. a week. So those are great tactics, tips and strategies. Anything else that you guys have found success with um, that you think stands out for somebody who's sort of looking to jump off this cliff for the first time? Um, I think it's just really good to know where you spend your money right now. I think most people wouldn't be able to tell you how much they spent on going out last year. Like, how do you do that? Uh, uh, that is my question. <laughs> so yeah. we track every single dollar that we spend. Um, I, I usually just do it on a weekly basis. I just go through my credit card statement and enter it all into my spreadsheet. He does the same thing. And then at the end of the month, we'll just be like, oh, how much did you spend on groceries? How much did you spend on going out? So we kind of just stay in line with each other. We manage our finances separately. We divide the bills how we feel, feel like we should. And That's a great question. How so, do you divide the bills? Hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. I, there's a very key piece of information in there that I think. Mm, okay, then get to it. You said spreadsheets. You yes. take everything out of credit cards, you put them in spreadsheets. Yes. Have you thought about or evaluated various technology platforms to maybe help you do this like Mint? Yeah, he uses Mint. He loves Mint. I'm very like hands-on. I want to like do everything myself manually. But I feel like that's also how I like stay very in tune with how everything's going in. Christine, can you explain Mint out there for people who may not know what it is? Mint, you just link all of your credit cards or debit cards and it will pull everything into its platform and it will tell you and categorize it for you so you can know it immediately how much you spent on groceries or going out or your mortgage, everything. Yeah, it's so, awesome. I use it all the time with my wife. I wanted to hear it in your own words. Yeah. It's a uh, product owned by Intuit. So if you have a business using QuickBooks, mm -hmm. um, you know, Mint is another product of theirs. It's basically the same thing. It's it's a um, financial accounting for uh, individuals. Mm -hmm. And That's it's, how I see it. The thing that I like the most about it is 
you can go through and you could do a variety of things, but you don't have to do the manual labor like you enjoy <laughs> doing. And it's not a knock on you. I just, for me, it's like you said, once a week or at the end of the month, whatever was going to work best for you based on your time. And I don't, time is, is something that everybody might not have the same of just because you might have kids or might not have kids, et cetera. Having a platform or a, an approach to be able to track your money is the number one most important thing. And for anybody who is listening, personally speaking, when I started becoming very financially responsible, it was like right around the time I got out of college because you don't really have a lot of money, then you get money. But college also in, involves some debt. So there was a, a plan of like, how do you pay this off? Just seeing the numbers because you know it's going to be bad you just have to get past that hump. The only way through is forward. And so if you're looking to get started, I think, and like you've said, you just got to make that first step. Mm -hmm. Get all the data, look at it, because it's so easy, would you say, to make a plan once you've seen everything? Yeah, to, to take action once you see the numbers and you create a plan, yeah. Yeah, so that's probably the best advice for somebody who is looking to get started. I mean, would you agree? Is yeah. Just get the data first, understand. Don't, don't, don't down yourself. No. All right, this is just your your financial situation, but look at it, assess it, get a, an accurate assessment of where you are. Don't lie to yourself because you're only lying to yourself. Nobody else is affected by it, and mm -hmm. then get going. Yeah, and it's super rewarding seeing like a negative net worth go to you know just a zero net worth. So yes. Yeah. Have or you paying been, off. Have you ever been in that situation? No, I haven't. Or, or for somebody. Who, go ahead. For somebody who has been in that situation, like me, when I first got out of college, mm -hmm. I remember that. I remember that moment where I was like. Oh, I'm starting to build some wealth here. Yes. So this is really important. This is a great topic. Now we've discussed sort of getting started, basic tips or you know tricks to get, uh, like uh, do this with your person. What should somebody focus on if they're getting started and they are in debt? Should they be trying to save this money and invest this money? Or should they be getting rid of that debt first? What's your take on this? Depends what kind of debt it is and what interest rate, I would say. So if you have student loans and it's, you know, I don't know, is it five or six percent? I'm not sure what student loans are these days, but um, I would prioritize that definitely. But doesn't mean that you shouldn't take advantage of like your 401k match. So I think there's a little bit of both going on there. Yeah. I always say you should at least save the amount that your company is willing to match. Yes. Right. So you get that match because that's just free money. Yeah. Right. Um, so I'm on the same page with that. You know, my only thought process was obviously credit cards. That's number one. Get those things paid off, 20% yeah. ish interest rates. Uh, um, before we move on, tactics. Have you guys ever done the Palance transfer game, things I, like that? I haven't. Zero interest checks for like 18 months, things of the sort? No, that's, I mean, that's an option for sure. But yeah, it's just, it's dangerous when people have credit card debt. And if they've been in it before, like using other credit cards, I just, it's is, just scary. Yeah. Right, right. So if it's your first time paying off a credit card, and you don't have the discipline, maybe that's not a good tactic because it is a trap if you don't get it done in a certain amount of time. Mm -hmm. But if you have a track record of being disciplined, those are actually really good tools. Yeah. Yep. And if you have any questions about, you know, minimizing your debt, we're not uh, fiduciaries. We don't offer financial advice here. Uh, we're not uh, financial but, advisors. Er, that's not a financial advice. And we are not your fiduciary. Yes. <laughs> we don't have your best interest in mind. Exactly. Uh, we Although have we your do. best interest in mind. It's just uh, we, we are uh, not financially speaking. You can yeah. email us at contact at .com, uh And we can talk about it at a future date. So uh, that's a great point here. So now let's speed up and let's get to the part about where you guys are getting ready to purchase a house. So you've done all this super saving. Yes. 
what did you do along the way to get ready for a house? It could be, it could have been investments. It could have been making sure you keep your budget and expenses low. It could have been finding creative ways to go on vacations. Talk about that. So I think we kept everything in a high yield savings account. I tried actually investing in bonds because they were doing well at the time, but they ended up not working out. So they just stayed in bonds. Um, so high yield savings account, I think we we're earning like two and a half interest on that. And then staying cash heavy because we didn't know exactly when we we're going to buy a house. So we wanted to be ready. Um, and then travel. I mean, I found really affordable ways to travel within reason. Um, I wouldn't say that I have any tricks to the travel. I think uh, your wife has better tricks than me. <laughs> She's pretty sweet. I mean, credit card game, credit card points, but I think that's a, a different discussion for a yeah, different day. The, the, the credit card points game is a lot like the 0% interest credit cards. Mm-hmm. You basically have to put in so many thousands of dollars on your credit card in the first few months. Mm-hmm. And if you're somebody who you're tracking your spending through Mint, if you're disciplined to treat your credit card like your bank account where you don't overdraw the money that you have and balance it out, then you could pay off your credit card before any interest is accumulated on it. You could accumulate the points and suddenly that's a travel hack. Yep. And for Curtis's point, shout out to my wife, Katie. She got us a business class round trip flight to Bali by signing us up for three credit cards and did them in the order where we got all of the sign on bonuses and then the referral bonuses for referring ourselves. Right. And uh, and then we got a, a letter from Chase that said you're at the maximum amount of credit cards that we will allow you to have and stop gamifying our system. We're like, well, thanks for the <laughs> business trip flights. Okay, well, hey, hours you, when trip. are you going to join the club with your wife and I? Because DoorDash conned me. They kicked me off their platform for doing something <laughs> similar. Now your wife, Chase, going after your wife. Pick your platform, man. Yeah, this is my platform. Welcome yeah. to the Log Attack <laughs> Podcast. So I'm going to kick you off? <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, well, the, I mean... Those are great. Uh, when you say you found ways to travel, is that like locally or was that doing airfare deals? I think, yeah, I base all of my travel around the airfare ticket price and I find the cheapest city to fly into. And that's how I get to like, let's say Greece. I'm like, okay, it's cheapest to buy a one-way ticket to London and then a one-way to Athens than it would be buying a round-trip ticket to Athens. So, ah. Have you so ever- if you're having to get flights... And you have some time, mm-hmm. do some research for the connecting flights. Obviously, it's nice to get a nonstop, but if you can't get a nonstop, you know, and you have the time between your carriers, you can, you know, take different flights. Obviously, the downside to that is you'll have more downtime, or you at least want to give yourself more downtime because you're going to have to re go through if you yeah. check your luggage. But if you're doing that and you're taking a backpack or something like that, right. Um, you won't need, you won't have any issues there. Do you need to yeah. If you're, if you're going to do something like that, I highly recommend carry on only. Okay, I agree. <laughs> All right. <laughs> highly recommend it. Uh, so we're about 27 minutes in here. Hold, hold, hold on to the, the travel thing. Have you ever used the app called Hopper? Yes. I've used that. Okay. I haven't booked through there though. I usually just use it to find the, like the hip. best route. Me too. Hopper to the hip, hip Hopper. What the hell is that? Hopper is an app that is integrated with a lot of the airline platforms, except for Southwest. Um, and they basically are looking for the lowest priced airfares. So, for example, in when I lived in Colorado, I wanted to take Sammy to uh, Oktoberfest to Munich. Well, I found round trip airfare from Denver for Oktoberfest, one of the parts of Oktoberfest, for five hundred twenty nine dollars per person. And then he got her pregnant. No, no, no. no I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> that was like four years later. And I booked the tickets. And she couldn't get the time off because she had a final one of the days we were gone. I was like, oh, 
It was just, it was, it was honestly such a good deal that I was like, we could kill this thing. You didn't, you didn't call your brother. You weren't like, uh, we can go do the twin thing in Oktoberfest <laughs> no, in Germany. No. I, I, they had a, I think it was a 24 or 48 hour cancellation window. So I just bought them. I was like, I'm going to talk to her when she gets back tonight. And she's like, I have a final. I'm like, ah, dang it. Anyway, that does suck. not that's to go okay. down a rabbit hole, but that's Hopper. I do yeah. think you should buy the cheapest ticket when you find it because it doesn't last very long. No, it doesn't. Yeah. They change on, the da- on, on daily or hourly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's also a really good point, too, of what you can use a credit card for to be beneficial. How have you used credit card to manage your cash flow? I use a credit card for everything. I try not to use cash or debit cards ever. And why is that for those people who might not know? All the points. All the points. Um, so I just use a basic uh, city Costco card. So it's 3% back on all restaurants and stuff like that. Travel. Okay. So what I hear you saying is you can get rewards points to do travel, but you can also get rewards points to pay off your credit card. So a lot of people don't know this strategy. Um, if you have a poor credit score, obviously this might not apply, but if you know it's a reasonable six to 700 you know, you can go and get those 2% cash back cards and you can actually, you know, if you start putting your expenses on the credit card and you're diligent and disciplined about managing it, you can use those rewards points to pay down your balance. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people don't know that. No. Yeah. Right. right. And so especially if you're somebody who you could actually do one of those opening intros, like, hey, we'll give you 50,000 points if you put up to $3,000 in the card in the first three months. You can use those 50,000 points to pay off your balance. And 50,000 points is about $500. You know, so, uh, it's, I, it's I believe about, it's about a hundred dollars per every on the chase 10, sapphire. I think it's somewhere right around that range. Yeah, yeah. So, but I mean, these are great strategies for at least eliminating some debt. Yeah. Okay, so we've just talked about you know sort of the gamut of what you would be going through expenses wise, and you know how you've managed this with your relationship mm-hmm. prior to buying the house. Looking back, because I think a lot of folks who are young who are coming up, they're wanting to do this. Is there anything different? you would have changed either in your guys' approach or your relationship with your husband and how you guys approached talking to each other about this or um, uh, uh, savings? I think it's not so much coming down on each other. You know, it's more like, hey, I'm sharing this with you and then you're going to share with me. I'm never going to shame him for buying something and he doesn't do that with me either. Um, It's like, do you want this? Is, Is this important to you? And that's it. Like, okay, it's justified. But as long as we're making conscious decisions on what we're spending our money on. I think, so that's, what, I think that's a really important point for, for anyone who's looking to do this. When you're with your partner, one of you guys is probably going to be better than the other. You don't, it, and it's not necessarily the person who makes more money. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is important that you don't shame the other person. It's really more around like, hey, you bought this thing. We can't go back and undo this decision is this in line with our goal? Mm-hmm. And then you just have a realization that, hey, that's not in line with our goal. And you can't you can't get mad at them. And the same thing, like if you go over budget on one month, sometimes you go over budget for good reason. Mm-hmm. And having that in place where you know that it's the realization of, hey, this wasn't in the direction of our goal. So let's recite ourselves getting back on the, the path towards our goal. That's a very important point yeah. because I feel like it is really easy to, be, to just – get on each other like oh why'd you do that now it's slowing down our progress yeah that's really going to turn the other person off right it totally will i mean i went over my budget like every month like six six of 12 months last year on going out and i knew that wasn't good he was doing the same thing and we're like okay let's take a step back let's realign maybe we should up our budgets a little bit and meet somewhere in between that's a great point there can you touch on that a little bit more 
think we've been really strict for the last five years and we're kind of to a point where we could let our like foot off the gas a little bit and enjoy life a little bit more. So if we want to go out to eat a few more days here and there, that's okay. Um, we deserve, well, not deserve, I don't want to use the word deserve, but. No, no, I, I feel like deserve is We've correct. worked hard to get to exactly. this spot and we can enjoy life now. Like that's why we got the Tesla, you know, we don't need to drive these old vehicles anymore. Like we can like let loose a little bit. Okay, so let's let's consider this here for a second. For you guys, based off of how much you spend on a monthly basis mm-hmm. now on your house that you guys have, how much money do you need in the bank to feel like you can let your foot off the pedal in terms of a percentage? So let's say, you know, is it like you want um 10 or 15 times your monthly expenses in the bank or like what does that number look like to you guys to feel comfortable are you talking about like a cash reserve or like just total net worth uh you could say cash reserve and net worth as well right you guys are super savers so obviously both categories are going to matter to you yeah i i feel like you know i don't really feel like a huge need to have a huge cash reserve maybe six months worth max for our and our monthly expenses and then I don't know if there's like an exact number, but just I think we use these calculators and we determine like, okay, how many years till we can retire? Is is this extra dinner here and there really going to move that needle? No, it's not. This is like a small problem. Like I think if we focus on our housing or transportation, those are what like the biggest buckets that we can really keep at a reasonable rate. Yeah. So, so, I, so go ahead, Alan. Let's just say what I hear you saying is you guys use a, a calculator because you can use these all the time. What you're saying is, does a 30 or 50 or $60 increase in whatever, or even 100 or 200 if you look at the how much money would you be able to make in a retirement calculator, it's like peanuts right. what that savings would be versus, you know, a 1000 or two or $3,000 more in a house, right. how that money stacks up more over time. Yeah. So I think um, I've, we've been talking about this a lot lately, like lifestyle creep, like we're allowing ourselves to have like some sort of lifestyle creep, but like, let's not a- Let's not let it creep in like a housing way. Like we don't need to get this massive house to show off because we'd rather just have more experiences and spend more money on travel. And that's something that we could easily take away if someone lost their job. I just don't want to like lock ourselves into that lifestyle creep. It's something that's easily taken away. I'm really glad you mentioned lifestyle creep because uh, I think for people out there, lifestyle creep might be a, a term. Another way to describe that is like live a tax bracket below your means. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's. If one of you guys had to stop working for whatever mm-hmm. reason, can you still sustain your way of life? And that is a really good litmus test, I think, for anybody's financials. And if you can't do that, and you've, one, do you, did you really do an honest assessment of your finances? Right. So really be truthful with yourself. But two, if you did do an honest assessment and you can't support your household with one income, maybe you need to do one of two things. One, um, maybe you're living little bit too far above your means Mm -hmm. but two maybe you might also need to get a different job yeah so those are kind of the the two scenarios because i think we know some people who may have been caught in that situation and they've come to one of those realizations that like hey maybe i wasn't necessarily financially responsible or wow i um we're actually living too far above our means yeah and so there is a change that needs to happen there a hundred percent so um i did want to double back though we opened the podcast. You kind of got into a couple of things here. One of the the things that I wanted I wanted to kind of throw some context. You said you're six years in. Yeah. What is the what is the goalpost? Is it ten years? Is it fifteen years? Is it twelve? Is it twenty? Like from today, and then like total retirement. 
It's from the from time you started. Time. We're six years in, uh-huh. right? Did, was it like fifteen years? Was it ten years? I think it was like thirteen or fourteen years when okay. I started. Yeah. Okay. So, so you guys said you want to retire in thirteen or fourteen years. That um, was your goal from the starting point. Yeah. So before Correct. before forty is kind of what I'm picking up. You know, I think it's changed a little bit because we've kind of reevaluated how how much we want to work right now. So like we've been grinding, grinding. And then uh, Brian comes in like last week. He's like, I don't think I want to work this hard for that much longer. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. Let's run the numbers. And we did like a three and a five year scenario where you keep working hard for three to five more years. And then you cut your clients in half or something like that. And you like work significantly less so you can be a very like present father and we can go on more trips together. And we won't have to save as much because we already saved so much and put it into investments. I think that numbers change, and it's more like we don't want to necessarily stop working in eight years. We just want to take our foot off the gas work less. and work less in five years. Yeah. And, I don't I th- want to, and that's do? really what retirement is. Retirement is having the choice of picking what you want to do for for work and how often you want to do it. That's, in my mind, really what financial independence is. Mm-hmm. Like Katie and I talk about it. Our definition of financial, ind- financial independence is not having a mortgage. Right. If you don't have a mortgage, your expenses are nothing. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, they're not nothing. But my point is, is they're they're pretty small in relation to your total income. Uh, so that I think is important for everybody to have an understanding of what is their version of financial independence. Because I'm the type of person I always need to be doing something. Like mm-hmm. we were just talking about it before the show. Hey, my wife was eight and a half months pregnant. We got this crazy idea to set up the podcast studio and do that. It wasn't that. a crazy idea. It was we finally pulled the trigger after about a decade of, <laughs> right. of not having a YouTube channel. And so we just went um, full ham on it. Yeah. And so, but my point is. Full is like, ham, dude. You blasted off to the moon. When I'm 60, <laughs> trust me, there's going to be another yeah. thing that I'm going to want to go full ham with. Like, I'm not just going to be like, oh, I'm, I'm retired. I'm watching movies no. and no. I'm going to go, you know, sit on a boat around, you know, Italy and be fine. <laughs> I mean, I'll sit on a boat around Italy, but the other stuff, no. Uh, (laughs) So kind of coming back to the context here, somewhere between 35 and 40 was the original goal. We'll call it 40, yeah. We'll call it 40, original goal post. Now, on your way there, Mm -hmm. okay, you met Brian, Mm because you were doing this before you met Brian. Is that correct? Yeah, I was saving my money. Okay, so you and Brian get in alignment. We've talked about some of the things with being a couple. Let's talk about some of the tactics that you're using and how you're saving your money. So there's a variety of things. You have traditional 401ks. Mm. You have Ross. You have backdoor Ross. You have variable universal life policies, uh, index universal life policies. There's whole life. There's a bunch 401ks, of things. 401ks, brokerage accounts. Yeah, brokerage yeah. accounts, independent, the, independent brokerage accounts. High, high yield savings so, accounts. Sorry to crypto. hit you with there's the a, list of There's everything. a bunch <laughs> of things, right? Yeah. Talk to us about some of the tactics you guys take okay. for managing your money. So we both max out 401ks. We both max out the Roth IRAs. Um, we can't do a back, well, we could do a backdoor Roth, but we have such a high traditional balance, like in a rollover IRA, that we'd have to convert that first, so it doesn't make sense. That's why I actually opted to do uh, 401k Roth or Roth 401k instead to get my Roth balance more equal to my traditional balance. Okay, so let's talk about that. So if you switch jobs, mm-hmm. you're going to have to transfer that money out of that 401k from that other job, or you don't have to, but mm-hmm. if you do and you roll it over, you're going to have to roll it over into an IRA, mm-hmm. right, IRA. When you do a backdoor Roth, you have to take everything out of the Roth, yeah. or uh, I'm the sorry, out of the IRA mm-hmm. and convert it into the Roth. So if you want to do a backdoor Roth, for those of you who don't know, it's your, if you have uh, over a certain amount of money and income limits, 
you can't contribute to either a Roth or an IRA because right. you make too much money. But what you can do is you can put it into an IRA. Mm-hmm. And the next day, transfer it all. And then the Roth. next day, you can you know convert it all into a Roth. But as long as you start from zero, right? right, And then you go up to the maximum amount, which is right now is like, what, $6,500 $6, a year individual. in 2023? Yeah. Yep. You can... In, convert that so what christine said is uh-oh i had a balance in my ira first uh, and i, I it, there's a lot of tax implications for doing that so i, I opted to go with the roth so the 401k very smart i think so very smart so <laughs> i think so that's what i've been doing <laughs> yeah. let's talk about uh do you guys do anything brokerages yes so i mean we can only save so much into the retirement accounts right and then everything else goes straight to a brokerage account and we okay. all put it into the total index stock market so VTI, Vanguard Total Index mm-hmm. Fund? It's actually F0, F-Z-R-O-X because it's Fidelity's and it has a 0% uh, fee. Hey. Yeah. Hey, there you go. Why are fees important, Christine? I mean, they take a little piece of your money every single year. I think it's yearly. It's like monthly. quarterly, monthly, yearly, uh, semi-annually. It depends on what it's at. But yeah, they're taking a p- piece of your pot. Yeah. So and that's why I always roll out of uh, companies 401k too, because there's a fee in there and it's very hidden. So you can't really see it. And then you don't have as many options. So I Hold on. Talk more in detail about that subject you just brought up. So when you leave a company and you have a 401k balance, I always choose to roll it out into a rollover IRA. Because there are hidden fees within those 401k plans. Yes. And it's very hard to find, even if you are in a low index or low cost index fund. Most people do not know that their HR departments and the leadership of their organizations are absolutely terrible. And so they call up their payroll provider and they go, hey, we need a 401k. And they go, great. Here's this 401k option we have. But what you don't know is they make a boatload of money by getting you into that. And those funds can be somebody's fund. It's resold. It's resold. It's resold. Speaking of being a fiduciary. Hold on. (laughs) So my point is, yeah, we're we're not, we're not offering financial advice. We're just talking about our personal experiences here. But what we found, my wife and I is um, everybody seems to resell Vanguard stuff. Right. I mean, Fidelity is another one, right? A lot of people resell Fidelity stuff. But if you go with somebody that's an independent, you know, they're just taking a fee for putting you in a, you know, a, a fund that's already largely low cost. I know. It's insane. It's crazy. So what's your favorite funds that you, you like? I only use, I think, F-Z-R-O-X because it's the total stock index. And then an S&P 500, whatever that one is at Fidelity or Vanguard. Solid advice there. It's low anxiety, low maintenance, and can you set up auto invest? Yes, you can. Perfect. So you don't have to do anything. Nope. You just have to go get your paycheck from work and you're good to go. So uh, there's another great strategy and tactic there, right? Yeah, automating your savings, I think, is super important. Yeah, so let's okay. talk about that, the set and forget strategy. Yeah. Um, I think if you come up with how much you're going to spend on an annual basis and then you can come up with how much you want to save per month based on that spending, you don't even have to think about saving. It'll go straight to your brokerage account or straight into your 401k and you don't even have to think about it and that like takes away the option to spend overspend what you wanted to because there's no money in your checking account. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you have maybe like a little bit of a buffer in there, but you can't spend it. Christine, you just gave me something. See, my problem is in my Roth and my IRA, I always have to go in and be like, oh, the stock market's down today. Let's go buy something, right? Um, that's I don't have, fun too. I don't have. On top of it. Yeah, but that's <laughs> it, the problem. It, it I ain't on, got time to do be on top yeah. of it. It depends <laughs> on how on top of it you want to be. And yeah, for those that don't have time, the... Your dollar averaging 
every month your money goes in or every two weeks, depending on how you have your stuff set up. Right. So. Yeah. You're not going to beat the market. No. Yeah. So it's, it's better, I think, to just be in there long term. Plus, I mean, I generally think if you consider looking at the funds that you've invested in, you know, it's broadly across the entire market. So, mm-hmm. you know, if half goes up and half goes down, you're still even. Yeah. So I, I like that tactic and I like that strategy. Low anxiety, low cost, low time commitment. So it's, have you found any other hacks that have made it easier to do? To save? Yes, to save. Mm-hmm. Sorry. No, I think it's just really the conscious spending thing. Like I don't ever feel like I'm depriving myself. So just really know what you want to spend your money on, what brings you happiness. Typically, it's not material items. So you can What brings that. you happiness, Christine? The gym. I spend a lot of money on the gym. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. This is why Christine and I are sitting on the same bench, baby. <laughs> Hell yeah. I don't see any weight on your bench. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 the bar doesn't bend. It's all pretend. And that That's, thing looks straight. So I'm yeah. just saying. So uh, so you spend a lot of time at the gym. Do you yeah. do the, is that quality time with your husband? No. I'm sometimes. I wish Brian yeah. would work out with us. I know. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be yeah. cool. I tell him all the time. Like, you just go come to CrossFit. Come hang out What's with all the bros. Thing? He's like, I'm not a bro. He, he, he goes to Lifetime or Crunch. And he'll just get his workout in, headphones in, doesn't talk to anyone. But he likes to work out by himself. It's like his time. Okay. But what is uh, like his uh, thing that he gets to do? Like you said, your thing's the gym. Does he have another thing? I mean, that's his thing. He plays basketball too. So. Solid. Yeah. That, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Perfect. You played basketball in college too? I didn't play in college. High we, school? No, just high school, both of us. So you guys ball up on each other? Yeah. That's our hobby together. We so you guys, I see how this all works now. Yeah. So you guys talk shit to each other while you're playing about each other's finances. <laughs> and it's cool because it's competitive mm-hmm. and it's about shooting hoops, not saving money. That totally makes sense. It works. <laughs> yeah. Life life tips and strategies. Do you guys ever here. wager any money on your games? We wager like dinner. <laughs> oh, okay. So <laughs> It's a, it's a degree away from spend. Got yeah. it. Do you ever do you ever pull got the card? Why well, I'm over budget? Is you gotta pay? Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I do. I used to. Oh, now. Oh, that is pretty funny. That's that's sweet. Um, looking back on it now, mm-hmm. you said you had a lot of anxiety buying the house. Yeah. How do you feel about buying the house now? I think it, I think we could have waited another year, but then actually I feel better because the interest rates. I think we we locked in a two point six nine now. Looking back, like yeah. I'm glad we did when we did. It's a when you guys bought your house, like even though the prices of houses in California were on the up and up, mm-hmm. the interest rates being that low, it's ridiculous from where they're at right now. I mean, your 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 buying power right now is a four hundred thousand dollar house. It's so crazy. Two point two percent my current mortgage. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we bought way well below our means too. Like we didn't need, we could have bought a bigger house if we wanted to. Absolutely, and you know what the funny thing is? Money is sleep. Money equals sleep. When you Time. have when you have money in the bank. Everybody's like, oh, how do you get good sleep? And, well, I'll tell you what. It's not weed. And it's not having a full belly. <laughs> and it's not Xanax. And it's not Xanax. <laughs> or or any pharmaceuticals. It's, you know, having a healthy amount of money in the bank and not feeling like you're stretched too thin yeah. because that's super stressful in a relationship. It'll keep you up, man. And it'll wake your ass up. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that a lot of people don't understand and recognize is you you have to have a certain means to be able to survive. And if you're always in survival mode, you can never let yourself come down and rest. Yeah. I, I saw something that came up this this week in my news feed and it said more Americans than ever who earn over a hundred thousand dollars a year are living paycheck to paycheck. And I thought to myself, 
More Americans who make six figures have poor impulse control and financial habits. That's so true. There's so much truth to that. And, and listen, a hundred thousand dollars is a I ridiculous think, I, amount. I, of money. I think it's eight thousand three hundred thirty-three dollars or something of the sort. No, no, no. Uh, it's no, you nailed it. That was pre-tax. Anyway, anyway, yeah, pre-tax money. You're going to get somewhere between five and six thousand dollars. On average, right? Depending on your tax scenario, I don't know who you're married right. to, how much money both you make. Anyway, that money, depending on where you live, it could be pretty easy for you to spend it, or it could be a big, healthy chunk of money. You really have to assess based on my locality and what I want. What can I actually afford? And I think that question is what people don't ask themselves. Mm-hmm. So when you say they're not financially responsible. I think that financially responsible starts with understanding who am I actually and where am I in the pecking order of the financials. And a lot of people, they live outside their means. Mm-hmm. And also your self-worth and your feelings about yourself. is not tied to how much money you make. It's not tied to how much money you make or how much money you save or where you're at in that pecking order. It's a good, healthy reflection to go like, hey, what is my optimal state? where I want to be and am I there? And that is what I look at. And this is the same message that I, I would give anybody for them being their toughest critic. This is just where you're at at this point in time. This is not who you are long term. This is not where you have to be stuck. This is not where you have to stay. This is just where you're at today. And if you don't like where you're at today, come up with the idea of where you want to be tomorrow and how you're going to get there. And these are the concepts that you've talked about. We say talk about living within your means, house hacking, you know, really uh, grocery bills. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and, and tell people what to do and not do, but really having a healthy, clean diet mm-hmm. that you're really only eating certain kinds of foods is a great way to lower your fin- or lower your cost for your groceries. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not advocating for only eat rice and beans. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying Sorry, that. Brian. No. Well, <laughs> You don't need to have a, it's not, no, she, she mentioned a couple other things in there, but I've seen some articles on like MSN where this guy is like, oh, I saved up, you know, over a million dollars. And they said, what do you eat? He's like, I just eat rice and beans. We had the protein too. Yeah. So like, I'm not advocating for those things. Loco Moco is a little, little, yeah. little egg on top. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't hear spam in that list. But. No, <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> you could do it with some beef. Uh, those are the types of things that I think people really need to be real with themselves mm-hmm. and just understand. Where do you want to get to and where are you at today? Yeah. And actually have an honest assessment for yourself. We've all been there. I think I've been in a rock and a hard spot at one point in my life, and that's really where my financial awareness came from. Same thing with you. I think, I don't know if yours was a rock and a hard place or if it was just more of like a state of mind yeah. with, hey, this is not where I want to be. Right. And so, you know, I'll, I'll kick it back over to you to wrap up with where you were at. Yeah. So we got about 10 minutes left. Okay. Okay. And about, so we can go a little bit more, a little bit less. So you get to the point where you guys make the jump and decision to buy the house. What was that thing that said, you know what, this is the right time for us to buy a house? Um, I didn't want to, so at that point we were living in an apartment and obviously that wasn't going to be a long-term route. I knew that we were going to stay in the area and we knew we were going to stay in the area for longer than 10 years. So at that point, mathematically, it makes sense to buy the house. And... We had the funds to do it. We bought well below our means. 
So what, what do you mean about that? Mathematically, it makes the most sense to buy the house. That's a very important topic. So there's a calculator online. You can look it up. Rent or buy. And if you're going to live in the house for more than seven years, in case you're not flipping it or something like that, but then it makes more sense to buy it at that point. But if you plan on moving every so many years, like three years, then it doesn't make sense to buy. Yeah, so let's talk about that for a second. So for people who might not have bought a house or Mm -hmm. thinking about buying a house, when you go to buy a house, you have closing costs, which are where we live in this area on the order of $10,000 It's about 1% of the purchase price. So if you purchase a $500,000 house, you will have $5,000 in closing costs if you're buying the house. It's a little bit more if you're selling the house. Um, so then you, on, on top of that, there's taxes that mm-hmm. you're paying for the house yeah. while, as you're paying off the mortgage. Then you also have, uh, whatever interest. You, you, well, yes, you have the interest that you're paying on, on your mortgage, but I'm talking about just the cost of getting into the house. You have repairs for the house yeah. that you may have to Inspections, make. Inspections, everything else. Yes. Yeah. And then if, and, and then, then and if when you, you go sell, to sell the house, it's five to 6% of whatever the house is worth. Correct. Because you have real estate commissions and everything yeah. else so that could really eat away at a, the down payment you put down, if you only put 3 or 5% down, or mm-hmm. B, any equity that you do make. Right. I agree with so, you. My wife and I, our situation was a little bit different. We bought and flipped two houses. Right. Um, so we lived in them, and you know we did the whole remodel thing ourselves, and that was really cool and awesome. Um, and if I had a chance to go do it all over again, right, I wouldn't have sold the first house. Mm-hmm. But you know, at the time, hindsight's always twenty twenty. Yeah, at the time, you made the best decision at the time. And yeah. that's what people need to know. Because yeah. I can validate that you made the best decision <laughs> at the time. Right. Yes. Yeah. And so, yeah, basically, the real estate market peaked with COVID, and California, yeah. you couldn't get rid of renters if they were bad. And we were like, well, I mean, it's not a bad time to sell. Yeah. Right? And then it went up another hundred grand. Yeah. 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 So, oops. Uh, but you know, looking at it, the long term of of you know, what we did, that made sense for us too. But I think that's a great decision, you know, uh, buy versus rent. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you're, you're going to settle down, maybe you have that special person in your life and yeah. you guys are looking for that, you know, maybe that's a good time to buy a house because there is no good time to buy a house unless you're ready for it. Because mm-hmm. what is your daily life like now in a home versus something that is not actually yours? I mean, I don't, I don't really see a huge difference. I mean, you can build, you can like change things the way you like it. But like, ultimately, I think I would be just as happy in an apartment. I just knew that that's not a long-term solution if we we're going to have to start a family, right? But for couples who are just living in an apartment, I think that's great. Like rent's ch- not cheap, but it's cheaper than buying a house and putting down 20%. Yeah, see, I just couldn't fathom my wife having to find a parking spot. I oh. just I just was all like, she's got to have like yeah. her dedicated <laughs> spot, right? And, and, and you know why that was, right? Because you took the parking spot. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, That's I, why I had to have a three-car garage. <laughs> yeah. The, the interesting thing about all this, I, I think, is know yourself. Mm-hmm. What are your bounds and what do you need in, in your living situation? So for you, you said, hey, living in an apartment was great. For you, you said having a, a, a spot for my wife to park was great. For me, it was I just wanted to be able to step outside mm. and like have a little backyard or have a yard or have something. And so when I was in, in an apartment, not having that was actually harder. So the apartment that Alan and I first got when we moved out, we went from my parents' house to like almost the Rolls Royces of apartments, which is great, but we didn't have shit in it. And... <laughs> And but we had our balcony looked off into like this Forest Creek area, which is really nice, and so that's what I liked. And mm-hmm. then we moved and rented a small house where we had a backyard and a little bit of a yard. So that was the big thing for me. But we yeah. didn't have anything that was 
And he had a girlfriend at the time, so he got the master. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but you did get the enclosed parking spot, and somebody yeah. was always trying to park in my spot. Uh, <laughs> our, our, our apartment was ironically right by a hospital, so it, it yeah. You know, any, people, anyway, was, yeah. so um, looking back on it now, mm-hmm. is there anything you would have done differently, or was there any type of recommendations you could give to somebody who is looking to do what you have done? I think starting sooner, honestly, that's the only thing I would say. Mm-hmm. I think I graduated college and I think it took me about two years to really figure out the direction I wanted to head. And if I had figured that out two years sooner, like, where would I be right now? Okay. So, what I hear you saying is it's not necessarily sooner like yesterday. It is making an assessment. Hey, if you were young, mm-hmm. sooner means. If you try to do this by the time you're in your 20, 21, 22, Mm -hmm. that is the ideal time to get started. But if you're not that age, it's also not a bad time to get started now. Right. Right. Because now is always going to be the best time to get moving and to work on this. And even if you are 45 years old, you do not have to be, um, you know, you didn't, there's, I'm sorry, I lost my, my train of thought there. But if you are 45 years old, you don't have to feel like you can't achieve this. When you, right. By the time you're 55, you can achieve a version of financial independence. Definitely. Yeah, and for p- people out there who might be a little bit older, you know, your goal plus was 15 years. If mm-hmm. you're 45 and you can retire by the time you're 60, that's still three years before you're technically allowed to retire in the eyes of government. You can spend a year figuring out how you're going to make all this happen and start executing at that one year mark and you'd still be on track and that's something for, for anybody start today right the best time is now yeah. yep and and move forward so when you said i wish i would have started earlier i kind of relate that to anybody out there is just jump off and start giving an honest assessment yeah. of where you're at and come up with a game plan okay so, final question christine okay. you jumped to a new job recently Mm -hmm. a good way to accelerate your savings rate is to increase increase how much you make Mm -hmm. what was that point where you realized hey i can actually switch my job and increase my income and not sacrifice my savings how did you go about doing that to make sure that you didn't have that anxiety of not having an income for a period of time Mm -hmm. while also getting the benefit of increasing your income yeah so i think it's really important to know what your position is worth at any point it changes all the time so like go in glass door and find out like if you can talk to your peers like hey what are you making your position i don't think a lot of people are transparent about that but going on glass door and realizing that your position makes x and then confirming that with a manager like hey is this accurate and then getting that confirmation realizing that you might be underpaid and then putting your feelers out there or being more open to recruiters talking to you because there is a huge opportunity to make so more. It, Shout out producer Scott, who's a recruiter. <laughs> yeah, so if you are underpaid, yeah. right, obviously start looking for other things. But if you're overpaid, which can happen, mm-hmm. I'm not saying it happens all the time, know that you're in a good situation mm-hmm. and, you know, put forth effort to maintain that. Okay, so I, I've seen this opposite situation. I have seen somebody not realize that they are overpaid and you know, they're living this lifestyle and everything else. And then they lose that job because there are a lot of funny money jobs out mm-hmm. there. There are a lot. With uh, startup money, 
Um, you know, there's a whole there's a whole podcast we or could you, have about yeah, startups. Or you're just the person that got promoted because you were the person that's there, but you've reached right. the Peter principle where you've reached your level of your own incompetence. And so the yes. point is, you could have been making two hundred thousand dollars when they could have easily replaced you with somebody making only a hundred and ten. You know, that's a serious concern to also consider. And hey, go like you know, like you said earlier, you might not be living above your your means, mm-hmm. but long term the longevity of that you could be living above those capabilities with the risk of somebody being able to pull that out from underneath you so i think that's a very great topic to know is you know be aware of what you're worth Mm -hmm. be aware of what you're currently paid and make sure that whatever your savings or your strategies are right now make sure it's a healthy combination in between those two to make sure you're not being underpaid make sure you're not being overpaid and one last thing because it came to mind we've been drinking some bourbon um how did you go about the switch for your job? Switch? I honestly, I first, I uh, reached out to my manager and I asked about it. I said they would look into it and work on that. And then it was just silence. So I was like, okay, well, a couple of recruiters reached out. I'm just going to hear them out. And then I had a job offer in the next two weeks. So it didn't take very long. And I brought it to them with full intent of switching at that point. And they're like, oh, we'll match you. And they're like, no, it's too late. Like, yeah, you already kicked me to the curb. Yeah. See you later. You silenced me for a month, so. That's not cool. Moving so on. <laughs> did they give you a reasonable um, explanation? No. Yeah, leave. Yeah. I agree. Yep. I try to make sure that when we are working with people, we pay them a fair and high amount um, because I'm right there with you. I don't want somebody we've invested all this time in who already knows our processes and everything. I don't want to leave in, you know, for a trivial amount of money, mm-hmm. right? You know, uh, don't get me wrong. It's not a hundred to a hundred and ten thousand dollars being a trivial amount of money. Ten thousand dollars is a lot of money, mm-hmm. but from a business perspective, but in the grand scheme of things, it's trivial. It's trivial. So <laughs> you know, I, I I I'm replaying the podcast in my head, and there's one thing that I really think that we skated over, and so this is the the postscript question, and then we'll be done. We didn't really talk about paying off debt. Okay. So have you ever had any debt in your life? I'm assuming maybe like some student loans or something of sort. No. no okay. No. So for somebody who might have some debt, mm-hmm. what would be a tactic or a strategy that you would tell them to do? Like, would you have them pay off that as soon as possible? Would you have them pay off it within their reason so they could still save a little bit of money? We covered this. It's based off the interest rate and it's based off of. We did cover it, right? but we didn't talk about so the tactics for how say, to do it. Yeah. So step one, I would say have an emergency fund. That would be number one priority because if you do need to replace all your tires, you're not going to want to put that on credit card debt and be deeper in the hole. So I would say that's right. your first step. Second step is tackle all of your credit card debt from in order, interest rate, highest to lowest. Usually they're all roughly the same. So just knock them all 29.99 right now. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then after that, like your smaller debts. But if your um, interest rate is lower than 5%, I would not prioritize it at all. Keep it at the monthly payment. And Katie and I just had this conversation about our mortgage. We're like, well, we're planning on moving and mm-hmm. like, what if we pay a couple hundred dollars more? And it's like, it doesn't matter. No. We would be putting money into something that we'd have to sell to get that money out. We'd just rather have it in cash. I agree. Awesome. Christine, it's been a pleasure to have you on. Hopefully, maybe we can have you and Brian back. Brian is your husband. You yes. want to maybe talk about Brian's business and what you guys do? Uh, yeah, Brian can't be here right now because he's an accountant and it's tax season, uh, Clark CPA group. So hopefully next time he can make it. So there you guys you work with individuals, you guys work with businesses? Small and medium-sized businesses, and they're individuals. But Awesome. Yeah. Great. Right. Any type of industry or vertical that you guys niche up or specialize in? I'd say it's pretty broad. Pretty broad? Yeah. 
Awesome. That sounds great. So if you guys need any accounting help, you can You're reach in Northern out to California. Christina you guys there have a website go. or how can people reach you? Yes. Uh, reach me personally. I know. You guys. <laughs> ClarkCPAGroup.com. Dot com. Sweet. Clark CPA Group. And that is Clark with a K. Yes. And an E after the K. All right. C or K-L-R. <laughs> it is not Kent. K-E-N-T <laughs> is not Clark Kent. I believe it's C-L-A-R-K-E, right? Yes. Okay. That's correct. And with that, you've been whack attacked. We're out. Yeah, thanks, guys. Bye. Thank you.